This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Say you want to raise money for a cause that you care about. Would you try selling t-shirts? Hand out flyers? Maybe ask for a monthly pledge in exchange for a tote bag? How about minting cowgirl-themed non-fungible token artworks? Selling them for millions of dollars in cryptocurrency and then transferring that to your favorite nonprofit. That's the so-called Web3 approach that one activist group is taking to support abortion rights organizations. Steven Zajic is an entertainment business reporter for The Washington Post. He wrote about the online activist group Computer Cowgirls and joins us now. Hi, Steven. Welcome to Reset. Thank you so much for having me. First off, who are the Computer Cowgirls, that group that your article focuses on? Yeah, so they're an interesting group really driven by one uh, artist uh, in Texas uh, named uh, Molly Dixon. And uh, she's been kind of working at this for a number of months ever since the uh, Texas uh, heartbeat abortion law, fetal heartbeat law passed uh, last year. And she's kind of recruited some other folks to help her, uh, another uh, Dallas-based coder, and then uh, a kind of strategy person out in Los Angeles. And they're they're kind of uh, mobilizing to do exactly what you described, which is uh, NFTs uh, to, to fund abortion access. So help us picture the art that this group is creating. Like why cowgirls? So they, uh, this was uh, Molly uh, Dixon, who is kind of a, a, a decently well-known uh, in Texas, at least, uh, photographer and, and video artist. And what she basically you know, has done with a lot of her work and I think is doing uh, with this in particular is kind of subverting. Uh, some of the cliches around uh, Texas and uh, Texan feminism in particular, of course, cowgirls, uh, both the, the, the farm uh, connotation and the uh, the cheerleader connotation, something that uh, she feels is outdated and needs to be kind of redone or, or subverted. And so uh, what uh, what she has done is is create this kind of uh, this digital art that has sort of some element of movement, some uh, some swagger with these different char- cowgirl characters uh, that are dressed sort of garishly over the top and and kind of carry a sort of empowerment vibe. And so I think uh, I think in, in part she just likes it aesthetically and yeah. and it reflects her vision. But I think it also has a a strong feminist uh, point to make as well. So help us understand how does that artwork then become an NFT or non fungible token and get sold. Yeah, so it's really interesting. You know, uh, one of the questions I had pretty much was exactly that when I was reporting this story, and that is, you know, well, so basically, uh, you know, how is this different from you if you were just making a print or 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 some other form of art and selling it in the pre-Web three or or pre-current technological era? And she said, you know, from a creative standpoint. Uh, there's, there's, there are some differences. Uh, you have to kind of uh, fashion it differently uh, technically, uh, but mostly that all happens on the front end. When you're selling it, uh, you have to kind of mint it as an NFT, uh, which is to say you kind of apply a lot of computer code so that it can live uh, in public on a public ledger known as the blockchain, which some listeners might be familiar with, and live as a unique item. That is to say, you know, just much like if you were painting an individual painting, uh, you couldn't, you know, you'd have to paint that again if you wanted a second copy. The same is true digitally with an NFT, uh, that each copy is kind of its own unique creation. And so once once that's done, uh, then the process of selling it and raising money can begin. But that's kind of what has to happen on the back end. I mean, and they're raising real money, right? $30,000 in February for the group Fund Texas Choice? Yeah, that's what was sort of striking to me. You know, I, I my, my kind of naive... Uh, outsider question because I'm not uh, an NFT artist and not in the crypto world. I just report on it sometimes. Was you know 
this is if you're making T-shirts here or 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 a cool little placard or something like that and selling a memento, uh, you're probably not making a ton of money. But as you say, they they minted 200 of these, 201 of these uh, back in February again for the Texas law and raised uh, $30,000 in in the space of I think a day or two. Um, and and so this is something that can go very quickly, uh, sell for hundreds of dollars. The the value fluctuates in the way that traditional art, in fact, probably even more than traditional art does. Yeah. And now their goal is to is to mint, uh, and they're in the process of doing this right now, 10,000 of these, selling them at different price points from 80 bucks up to a couple of thousand dollars. They want to raise millions of dollars for, for abortion access groups. And, and this is very different, uh, or in, in uh, the eyes of, of your subject here, better than traditional fundraising, like just selling T-shirts or collecting donations on Kickstarter. Or something. Yeah, that that was what she said, you know, because again, my question was kind of, well, wh- why, wh- like, what does this do for you? That, how, what problem, you know, I always like to ask her the tech story, yes. what problem does technology solve that, that an analog world uh, would, would otherwise conjure? And she said, I mean, she practically laughed and said, you know, there was almost no way, there is no way I could have sold this much, this quickly at this value uh, if, if I was doing this in, in an analog fashion. Now, I think skeptics could rightly wonder, and we're seeing this even just in the last few days uh, with some of the values of these assets crashing. We're in the midst of a cryptocurrency crash, and we'll see where that ends up, uh, that you know, this is all speculative, and the reason they're spending that much money is because of a bubble. So I, I think that has to be taken into account here. But the reality from her perspective I think is well taken, which is that uh, if we're doing it this way, we can just raise a lot more money a lot more quickly. And of course, that's the goal. Yeah. You called Computer Cowgirls a decentralized autonomous organization or DAO. What does that mean? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting acronym. And I think a lot of people who are on the outside kind of raise their eyebrow when uh, some three letter. <laughs> I sure did. Is attached. Yeah, I, I, I told a few friends and, and one said, well, I think you might might be making things up now. Um, but, <laughs> but no, this is real and, uh, and, and has had an, an impact. Some listeners may recall a number of months ago uh, when a group got together uh, in this decentralized autonomous organization to try to buy the Constitution. And what, what they did was basically it was a, hundred, a couple hundred and then a few thousand people who all sort of agreed to have kind of a flat structure. I mean, I think in, in, the, in, the, in the old school world, we'd call it, uh, you know, some kind of uh, commune or some kind of collective where everybody kind of gets a vote. There isn't a sort of top-down hierarchy. And what this group did with the Constitution called Constitution DAO or DAO, was um, was to basically raise $47 million of people buying in uh, to to potentially acquire a copy, a rare copy of the U.S. Constitution being auctioned off by Sotheby's. Uh, that bid did not, uh, it failed. They were outbid, uh, but they weren't able to raise a lot of money uh, for this cause in a short amount of time in a sort of democratic structure. And so that is a kind of model. There's another example uh, that the cowgirls talk a lot about called Ukraine Dow, where a few people, a few artists, uh, in Eastern Europe, including one of the founders of Pussy Riot, uh, basically got together and did a very simple NFT of the Ukrainian flag and raised, I think, six and a half, almost seven million dollars. Mm-hmm. And so, again, this is the Dow is kind of, you know, think of it as just the organizational organizational structure around the art being sold. So in this case, uh, they would kind of maybe uh, help decide where the money goes. You know, this is something Molly and our partners are saying, we're not going to decide. This is for the for the group, for the for the uh, for the collective to decide. And so that's what they're going to do after these NFTs are sold. 
This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and our guest is Washington Post reporter Stephen Zychik. We're talking about how online activist groups are turning to NFTs and cryptocurrency to raise money for abortion rights nonprofits. Now, coming up in a few minutes on the program, Chicago will be hosting the largest event in the U.S. celebrating World Fair Trade Day. We're going to talk with Chicagoans who are involved in that event. Now, Stephen, we have talked about NFTs and, and cryptocurrency. Tell us what else goes into this Web3 concept. Yeah, so I think this is Web3 is a very fast-changing, slippery notion. I think that's why a lot of our listeners and, and just uh, folks in the world hear this and say, well, what does that mean? And, and more important, how is it going to affect me? So I think crypto and NFTs are one aspect of it. And I, I kind of always caution people as I report on this and, and, you know, as we all, I and my colleagues start to kind of get some of this out into the world, that let's not focus on one use case or, or any narrow uh, realm uh, to the exclusion of others. So NFT and crypto, the idea of money being uh, changing hands without U.S. dollars being involved or art being sold uh, in this kind of uh, frothy way, I think is one aspect of it. But Web3, uh, as a general concept, uh, at least the, the definition that kind of we're going with here at the paper, uh, moves beyond just that, and it moves beyond what we think of as Web2 or the social web, which is to say a lot of folks, you know, kind of, you know, talking on social media about the news of the day or their own lives and everything that we know and, and love or hate. Uh, Web3 kind of goes beyond that, and it looks at uh, kind of more fundamental ways our digital lives may be uh, uh, kind of affected or uh, reconnected. And so uh, when people talk about the metaverse, the idea that we're uh, kind of functioning via digital avatars, uh, which has not happened yet, uh, but but could start to happen uh, in the coming years. When people talk about virtual reality, something that's already kind of starting to happen a little bit with mm-hmm. uh, some some platforms people know, like Roblox and and, and maybe even a little bit of Fortnite. Certainly Facebook slash Meta is trying to in, impose that. So the idea of, of virtual reality uh, kind of working in that realm. I think in general when, when we talk about Web3, it's helpful to think about uh, something that's a little bit more uh, kind of seamless with our lives, you know, whether that's money moving more easily or our avatars kind of blending with our existence a little bit more. Uh, you know, it's not like I think what we have now, which is we have a phone and we get on social media and we have screen time and then hopefully we disconnect from that. Yeah. I think Web3 is just going to make our digital lives and our physical lives for better or worse. And uh, there are a lot of people who would argue for worse, uh, a little bit more connected and a little bit uh, a little bit more borderless. Well, you know what, Stephen, this has been a lot of information. Is there a larger disconnect here between just the lightning speed of this Web3 world and, and the slower in real life world, IRL, if we want to stick to acronyms? I think there is. And I think I realize that when one talks about this, uh, one risks uh, <laughs> overwhelming or in fact, perhaps just curing uh, the insomnia of, of, of their <laughs> audience, because this is something that can be very abstract and, and, and make people sort of want to want to unplug. Uh, and, and there's a lot about this that may not come to pass or may come to pass in a much more limited way that I think we should be um, uh, we should be very aware of. That said, I would I would also point anyone who is uh, overly skeptical to how the Internet uh, kind of unfolded back in the 1990s and how skeptical a lot of us who are old enough to remember that time uh, were, uh, the idea that we were going to kind of going to be living our lives on screens and getting information on screens instead of reading newspapers. I, I think some listeners may recall the, the famous viral Brian Gumble clip when he's kind of, you know, kind of wide-eyed saying, the Internet, what yes. is this thing, and will we really use it? 
And so I, I would I would say, I, you know, I don't think the parallel is exact. I think there are many ways the Internet uh, clearly has affected our lives that Web3 will not. But I would also uh, point any skeptics to uh, the, the sort of uh, knee-jerk or reflexive uh, sort of pessimism uh, we all had back in the 1990s when, when we wondered if our lives would be affected by computers. And now, of course, we find jobs and date and, and move and, and work and do everything via a screen that's kind of disembodied for us and say, well, maybe that level of change uh, is possible. We've lived through it, a lot of us have, and we're going to see a more seamless change in the years ahead as well. Now, folks have also talked about the dark side of NFTs and cryptocurrency. Has that brought up any mixed feelings for computer cowgirls? You know, I think it has to a slight degree. I think any time you're, you're, you're trafficking in um, something that is as volatile and speculative as that, you, there, there has to be some pause given. I think they are um, working for a, uh, a political cause they believe in very strongly, and I think that really takes precedence. I, I don't think this is some, uh, you know, fly-by-night crypto operation. We, we, we all know them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are coins that come rise and fall. They're scams or they're quasi scams. I mean, these are these are people with their heart in their right place working on behalf of a cause they very passionately believe in. Uh, so I think that probably neutralizes uh, any of that, uh, any of those feelings. But but I will say that I think uh, anyone who is kind of in this world, whether they're working in it from an activism standpoint or an investment standpoint or any other, has to recognize there's something very uh, very slippery going on here, particularly with crypto and NFTs. Uh, you know, this is not; these are not even the most volatile company uh, or or stock that you know can really swing swing wildly in value. is is based on a lot of underlying fundamentals. Uh, when you're talking about a company's earnings or a product, uh, yeah. most companies are are based on that. And so, even if you're investing in a in a stock that may crash or 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 uh, skyrocket, you're dealing with something like that. I think when you're talking about crypto and NFTs, you're talking about a more nebulous kind of a shared assumption of value. And while that's true for all investments and all currency, for that matter, there aren't those underlying fundamentals. And I think that's something that should give all of us a little bit of pause. Well, I, I've got to ask you, Stephen, before I let you go, are we doing our public radio pledge drives all wrong? Like, should we be minting WBEZ logo <laughs> NFTs here at the station? Well, I, I am the furthest person uh, or the last person you want to ask on, on any kind of financial or fundraising. I don't know. But, but you know what? Yeah, You've I got mean, the crypto speak I, down. I, say, I was skeptical when I heard this. I said, this is, you know, we're, we, you could just be selling T-shirts. You could be doing pledge drives like so many others do. And then when I heard what they were able to do, $30,000 in a couple of days, uh, you know, without really even any recognition. And now they're going for millions. Yeah. I can only imagine what a, what a powerful public radio station. I hope our membership team is listening. Kind of <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That is Stephen Zychik, an entertainment business reporter for The Washington Post. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for having me. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.